Good morning, church. So wonderful to see you, and uh, I know that there's uh, lots of dynamics that go on on Father's Day. Um, I got a text from a friend of mine. Some of you who were here at least uh, 10 or 12 years ago when I was on sabbatical, you remember our friend Marty. He spoke here a lot, and uh, he wrote to encourage me uh, just, you know, with dad's passing just a couple of years ago. And uh, so I asked him if he'd be getting together with his family. And Marty told me that, um, that his father passed away uh, June the 7th. And uh, so I know that Father's Days are hard and uh, my thoughts and prayers are with Marty and uh, with many of you in the room who've experienced loss. But uh, I'm just so thankful. And Bernice, I just wanna say thank you for um, affirming uh, fathers uh, I don't know if you know this, but the one day that fathers hate coming to church the most is Father's Day. It's true. Research tells us that. That's the one day they don't like coming. When Mother's Day, it's all positive and yay, mom and fathers, it's like you're never good enough. And so thank you for affirming us in the room. Um, we're in a series about how we encounter God, and we encounter God in many different ways. Obviously, uh, we looked at the beginning of our series uh, just how to encounter God and structure our lives to be able to um, hang some disciplines on a trellis or create some structure and form to our lives of which we would, you know, f uh, structure our lives with certain spiritual gifts to, or spiritual practices to be able to help us or position us to connect with God. And last week, we looked at how that we actually connect with God or encounter Him through what He has been, who He has made uh, through the outdoors. Who uh, took some time this week to go outside with new eyes and fresh eyes uh, this week? Yeah, excellent. And uh, we can encounter God out of doors. Today, what we're going to be doing is looking at how we encounter God through His people. And again, we could spend the next 52 weeks talking about how the people of God hurt the people of God. We could talk about how they disappoint us and how they're hypocritical and on and on. But today, we cannot throw out everything that is true in the Scripture and what is true with so many Christians, and that is how that we actually encounter God through His people. We want to celebrate that and honor it today and I thank you again for setting us up that many ways we encounter God through our earthly fathers. And I was in one of those fortunate positions to know a lot about God and experience God through the life of my dad, and I'm grateful for it. But today we see how God is often encountered through his, per, uh, through his people, through personal and tangible means which we encounter him, through a regenerated follower of Christ, through his spirit. Yes, God is omnipotent or omnipresent. And while we don't limit him in his work, we do carry his presence within our being as believers in Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to encounter God through his people. And we have the responsibility to be conduits through which people encounter God through us. And this is what we want to talk about today. Um, I had a, well, 
I may not spend the amount of time, I just will highlight or keep everyone at the back on their toes. We'll see how we go here today. It's Father's Day, and I know all of you have lunches to get to. And so here's, we're going to look at how God is encountered through his people. God is encountered through his people, firstly, who extend his invitation to relationship. God is encountered through his people who extend invitation to relationship with him. That is, those who invite people to trust in God through Christ, who share the good news of Jesus and how by trusting in him and his death and resurrection, they can be reconnected with God. You actually can encounter God through the invitation of someone. Now, let me ask you a question here. I would like you all to think about this. Who was it that invited you to trust in Jesus, to receive him, to become a follower of Christ? Who was it? Who prayed with you when you crossed that starting line of faith and began your journey in the kingdom of God? Can you picture that person? Can you think about who it is? Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, a friend, a colleague. Maybe it was a family member again. Who was it? A youth worker at a camp? You actually got to encounter God through that person's invitation. Here, listen to the scripture as we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. The Apostle Paul, or the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, and look, listen to this, God making his appeal through us. Please understand that. That person who invited you was speaking the words, but things are not only as they seem. There is a God present in the invisible realm and he is working, and the scripture says that he actually was making his appeal to you through the words of that person. Isn't that incredible? Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news. It's good news for me because I realize that, you know what, I don't do this on my own. God himself helps. He works through so when I'm sharing Christ or talking about the faith and inviting people to church or inviting them to check out Christ or read something, as I'm talking to them, I have the assurance that it's not just me, that God himself through me is actually making his appeal to people. And friends, you must remember that. It's not just you. God speaks through you. He's working through those who share the Christ. And I want you to just remember that because people will actually encounter God through you. The second way, here we see this, God is encountered through his people who exhibit his steadfast love. God actually is encountered. They experience God through the love that his people show. His love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, and we love others with his love that he grows in us. It's called agape. It's a different kind of love. It was a heavenly love. It was a love that was unknown in many ways. There was parental love and friendship love and all that. But the scriptures introduced something that was called agape love. 
that was new. It was a divine love. It's completely and utterly sacrificial to do for, not just to pay back other people, it was completely one way. The agape love of God produced in us by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that's his evidence or fruit, is love. And when you and I love people sacrificially, they actually encounter God. I remember uh, just last week, we had the opportunity to be at the Celebrate Recovery 12th anniversary here at Summit. And uh, we got to hear a powerful testimony of a man and uh, also of a woman. But uh, the man who spoke said something that grabbed my attention. He said that right here in this building over in the shop is where he met Jesus. And he said this, he says, because I saw Jesus in the people here. My brother, when he came to faith finally after many, many years, and I've talked about his story uh, before, but he asked if he could get baptized up at our church in Lake Country in Kelowna area. And I said, why, Daryl? That's not where you became a Christian. And he said, yes, but every time I came here, he said, I saw the love of Jesus in the people towards me. They encounter God through your love. And so, friends, it's incumbent upon us to grow it. 1 John 4.12 is fascinating. It says, no one has ever seen God. That is, he's invisible. God is spirit. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. That is, God's love abides, and it's proven, it's evidence that he lives within us, and his love is perfected in us, or as the New Living says, it is brought into full expression through us and in us. We encounter God through his love being expressed through his people, his accepting, unconditional, steadfast, faithful love as it abides in us and then is manifest to us, and it makes the invisible God real today through his people. God is encountered through his people who evoke his conviction of sin. We don't like this one too much. Well, some people like being on the giving end of it, not on the receiving end. God is encountered through his people who evoke his conviction of sin. You see, people counter God when he convicts them of sin. We sense God does something. He convicts them. His heavy hand is upon them. He, he's stirring their soul that something's not right. And what God does when he convicts a person, he does so out of love to draw him to Jesus, to the cross, to find forgiveness and relief from his guilt. The enemy of Christians, called the devil, he accuses, chastises, and forces to isolation the people of God so they won't be forgiven. But the Spirit draws us towards God so that we will receive his forgiveness. And so conviction is a good thing. And sometimes God works through his people to bring us under the conviction of God. He confronts us convicts us and convinces us of our sin or our misbehaviors. He leads us to a place of repentance and confession. Occasionally, he may use his people for that. We know the Spirit is the one who actually does the convicting, convincing work, but he works through people. 
Remember the story of King David in the Older Testament. King David was the great king of Israel. He was a warrior. He was blessed by God. He was incredible. And he started to get lazy in his work when the springtime when kings should be at war, he was sleeping midday in his castle. And he gets up out of bed in the middle of the day, and he goes out to his balcony, and he sees a woman bathing, a beautiful woman called Bathsheba. And then he sends for her, commits adultery with her, sends her back, finds out she's pregnant, so he tries to deceive her husband, brings him home from the battlefield, tries to get him drunk to sleep with her so we think that it'd be his child. Doesn't work. So he arranges and orders for the killing of Uriah on the battlefield. And the thing is, David was in such a state at that point that he wasn't convicted of a sin. So God had to do something and send a person. The person's name was Nathan. And Nathan comes, and we read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'll just highlight two verses or parts of them. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and during this time, twice during his conversation, he says, thus saith the Lord. He paints a picture, draws an, an analogy, and David says, boy, that person should be punished. And thus says the Lord again, it's you, you're the man. So then later David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He repents. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You're not going to die. Now, there were consequences. But you see, God convicted David through a person. Have you ever been convicted of wrongdoing or of sin through another believer? Anyone? Am I the only one in the room? Oh, let me count the waves. Yes. God is gracious. We're a family. We're a body. And when things are out of alignment, God, through his spirit, works through his body to bring correction and bring things in alignment again. So we actually encounter God through the, the conviction, those who bring conviction to us. God is encountered through his people who embody his comforting presence. Do you know that? When you come into a room or when you meet with someone who's gone through an incredibly difficult time, you carry the actual presence of God. If you're a regenerate follower of Christ, that means if you've believed in him, you've received him, the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus forgives you your sin, you're in right standing before God, the Spirit of God enters you, and now you actually are a carrier of the very presence of God deep within your spirit. Christianity is not about just believing certain truths. It's life comes to us by his spirit that indwells us and begins to transform us. And when we come into rooms or meet with people who are going through difficulty, you have the capacity to enable them. As you embody his comforting presence to them, they encounter God. And some of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. You've had a hard time, and people showed up. And when you left, it wasn't just a couple of nice words. There's something that just lifted your whole spirit. 
he got a sense that something spiritual was going on. The Apostle Paul had a situation like this. They're going to read about it. Let's read together in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. He's talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting within, or without fears within. He was seriously discouraged, opposition, exhausted, persecuted, false accusations, and fears were rising up in Paul. Now, the next verse says this, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us. Who comforts the downcast? Thank you. One of us is with us. Who comforted us? God did. But you know what the rest of the verse says? By the coming of Titus. Well, hang on. I thought it was God. It was through Titus. That's the most amazing thing that Paul encountered God. The encouragement of God comforted his troubled heart through Titus. And while Titus was trying his best to comfort Paul, God was at work. You know, before I move forward, it doesn't record what he said. Maybe he didn't say anything. The power of the ministry of presence is incredible. When you're discouraged and down and exhausted and grieving or sick or just when you are at a low, low point, the sheer presence of someone who loves you and cares for you, just being in the room, has a lifting effect. And Scripture tells us that actually God does his work there. Now, God may speak through you and encourage them and all of that. That's true. But I just want you to know the ministry of presence, you carry the very presence, and when you're there, it says he encouraged him through the coming of Titus. Titus showed up. Now, if that's not enough, let this boggle your mind. Here's the rest of the verse. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by who? You, the Corinthian church. Think about the ripple effect. The Corinthians comforted Titus during his difficult time in ministry, and when he shows up to Paul, it's not just his presence that encourages and how he encountered God, but the actual Corinthian church, through their comfort of Titus, positioned him in a place where they actually also encouraged Paul and comforted him. You never know who you show up and encourage, who minister to. You never know when they walk out of that room or when they go somewhere and meet someone else, how they encourage them, not just with their encouragement, but with all that you've built into them to encourage them. It's wonderful. Friends, we're not islands. 
It's a beautiful thing to behold that as God works through people in us and we go there, oh, it's just multiplied how God actually comforts other people through us. Church, we just have to see through new lenses when a brother or sister in Christ ministers comfort to us when we're afflicted or grieving or down or lonely or sick or hurting or exhausted. It's not just the person, it's God himself through them. I remember I was having a, um, my, one of my first mentoring groups with some men, and I remember asking this person in my group uh, many years ago, I said, how do you feel the love of God? How do you know the love of God in your experience? And he had no question. Finally, after a few minutes, he, get, he said, because Jesus died on a cross for me. And I said, you're right. That is by far the biggest, the biggest expression of God's love. But are there any other ways? And he was just like doing the guppy. I don't, I don't know. I walked him through this verse. And I showed him that actually God expresses his love to you through other people. How have you experienced the love of God in the last year? And the lights went on, and he began to tell me one or two situations. And he realized God worked through those Christians to encourage his heart. We need to see it, friends. God does his work through people who love him. God is encountered through his people who emphasize his assuring forgiveness. We actually encounter God as people lead us to a place of forgiveness and they give us that assurance of that. When we feel forgiven by God, they give us assurance. Their declarations of God forgiving us bear weight. Jesus entrusted us with this. Did you know that? John chapter 20, verse 23, before Jesus left, he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said these words, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold, withhold forgiveness from any, they, it is withheld. Now, Jesus is the only one who has the ultimate authority to forgive sin, yes? I don't and you don't. However, he gave them the authoritative capacity to declare that sins were forgiven on his behalf. If people repent, confess sin, he has given authority to his followers to be able to declare on behalf of Christ himself their sin is forgiven, not because we do it, but because Christ has. And there's something in the human psyche to hear the words, your sin is forgiven. My dad taught me this principle years and years ago, and there's times when I would meet with people individually and they'd pour out their heart and their confession. And when we were finished and they confessed their sin, I just said, I need to speak to you on behalf of God himself. That based on the sincerity of your confession, it's my privilege to declare what Christ has done for you. Your sins are forgiven. And I watched people burst into tears. There's something about the declaration that gives them freedom and they feel forgiven many times. Now, if they refuse the good news or if they refuse to repent, then Christians have the authoritative capacity to declare that if they don't, their sins are withheld. 
Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, susses out what many, many godly writers for centuries have talked about this. He says, God has given us our brothers and sisters to stand in Christ's stead, making God's presence and forgiveness real to us. It is through the voice of our brothers and sisters that the word of forgiveness is heard and takes root in our lives. The assurance of forgiveness is sealed in the spirit when it is spoken by our brothers and sisters in the name of Christ. Indeed, Dirk Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says as well, one who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother or sister experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person hearing their confession. Please don't misunderstand. A person does not forgive the sin. We declare it. And it has an incredible effect on our walk. Lastly, God is encountered through his people who express his prophetic words to them. People actually encounter God speaking to them as someone expresses a prophetic word to them. And that comes in many different ways. Primarily, God will speak through his scripture. Someone will bring a scripture to them and it just, it is absolutely the word of God to them. And he speaks to them. I've shared with you times before how we've received words from God and from our fellow churches to encourage us along the way. But he also does, through his spirit, speaking just to the person individually through their thoughts and minds, But the way we want to emphasize here this morning is another way is he'll do it through the prophetic words of his people. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of the body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14 all about the spiritual gifts. And he says in verses 4 to 6, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. He goes on this long journey then to describe the various parts of the body and how God works through them. He manifests his, his gifts through them. One of them he mentions is the gift of prophecy. Please, don't under, the, the, the New Testament gift of prophecy is not just the same as the Old Testament office of prophet. I don't want to expand on that. I don't have time to. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. The one who prophesies speaks to, be, to men and women for edification, exhortation, and consolation. This is what is spoken by the New Testament gift of prophecy. That means to strengthen, to encourage, and to comfort. Or, as Rick Warren says, to build up, stir up, and cheer up. Someone who speaks a prophetic word does so when the Lord places it on him. He'll give them either a particular verse or a thought or a sentence or a, he'll, he'll give them a picture and they'll speak that into the person who is struggling or who is weak or is in need of some kind. And this manifestation of the Spirit, this word from God, speaks to others for their spiritual benefit to encourage, strengthen, and comfort them. And so God speaks. Now, yes, they all have to be tested and measured against Scripture and all that. We don't have time to give those parameters, but it's true. 
We had this happen to us on Friday night. Leah and I were out for dinner with Bill and Donna Dick, the lead pastor, senior pastor at Toronto Alliance Church, and we were, we were downtown, we were having dinner. And we, we get together to encourage them, to bless them, and we always walk away feeling somehow more blessed than we went there to bless them. And during the night, we were talking about our families, and they've gone through such tra- challenges with some of their kids, and, you know, God's working, and this and that, and they asked us. And one of the biggest challenges I have these days is that not all my kids are necessarily as passionate about Jesus as I want them to be. And I was discouraged about that. And in the middle of that restaurant, Donna and Bill had words And when they spoke, we were just having a conversation. When they spoke, it hit us so strongly that the tears just began to flow. And I knew right that moment, God spoke to us through them. They said, it's not the end of the story. Don't see this as the end of the story. And then Bill shared from the King James Version of 2 Timothy 1.12. He says, For I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. Committed to him until that day. And he said, you stood at an altar with that child, and you committed that child to the God. He is able to keep that, but you've committed. It's not in my time. I can't write the story, but I'll tell you, the tears began to just flow, and I knew God spoke right into our hearts that night for encouragement, strengthening, and comfort. That's how God speaks sometimes. People encounter God through these various ways as we invite them into fellowship with Christ, as we exhibit his love, as we, you know, evoke conviction, as we embody his comforting presence, as we emphasize assurance of their forgiveness and express prophetic words, God is encountered through his people. Do you believe that? So then, even more quickly, then, so what? Now what do we do? Here's... If that is true, our next step is this. First, you need to discern God's work through people. You need to learn to discern, not just seeing what they're saying, not seeing what they're doing or what they're, how they're responding to. They may be, God might be saying something to you through them. You might be experiencing the comfort of God, the strengthening of God. God might be inviting you into his family, and you've been rejecting that for a long time. He might be teaching you, speaking to you. Discern what God is doing through people. It's not just them. Things are not only as they seem. God is working through them. Secondly, grow a responsive relationship with God. That means as he initiates his work in us, we respond and we grow. We incorporate what we discern him saying to us through others. And we we cultivate this relationship with God that's real and authentic. Why? Because as we abide in him, his presence grows deeper and stronger in us and more consistent. And therefore, we then bear the presence of God to other people in various ways. It's incumbent upon us to keep growing 
so that God will use us in the lives of others. And lastly, we pray that others will know God, that God will be encountered through you. Pray for that. Ask God. Oh, may God, may, may people encounter you through my life, through what I say, through what I do, the actions that I give, my service. May they encounter you, oh God. So we pray for that, for those opportunities, and we trust that God is going to work. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Friends, God works through his people, and you're his people. He'll work through you. So remember, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, how you're serving, how you're living, you bring the presence of God, and may people encounter them through you. And may you be open to encountering God through them. Amen? Let's pray.